Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then move my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. What's up, everyone? Today's guest makes all the sense in the world, as my man knows more about a Mississippi minute than most. He preached weather to us all growing up and what seemed like forever and lately has been one heck of a gracious, informative personality and host on shows like Mississippi Roads and Looking Around Mississippi. He certainly understands these hallowed grounds we call home and knows how to lift up and celebrate us all. Please welcome our very own Walt Grayson. Hey, Walt, what's up? Oh, good man. I'm I, doing very well this morning. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Are you in Jackson, Madison, Ridgeland? Where are we? I'm in Rankin County, wonderful Rankin County. Oh, uh, good. You talked about preaching weather to you for all these years. It reminds me of something. When I first went to work for a WLBT, and goodness, that was a lifetime ago, but I worked with Woody Asaph, and I had been watching Woody Asaph all my life. Woody literally started doing weather when I was four years old. Right. And so when I finally got comfortable enough that I could talk to him, I told him, Woody, you know, I've been watching you ever since I was just a kid. And he, oh, thank you, bud, thank you, bud, and went on about his business. Now, then years later, I was out somewhere, and this 25-year-old guy comes up to me and says, Walt, I've been watching you ever since I was a kid. (laughs) And I got to thinking, you know, Woody may not have taken that as a compliment like I thought he would have, because I sure didn't. I took that as, man, I'm an old guy or something. I love it. I love it. Well, tell me about how that all came about. We'll we'll jump around the interview. I I had sort of a formula, but I like where we're going. You know, how and why weather? I mean, how did it happen? Well, I'll be honest. Weather is something that I was, I guess it was a hobby of mine. And sort of a forced hobby. My dad worked out on the road every day. He was a pest control man, and he, he was based in Greenville. And his territory stretched all the way from Eudora, Arkansas, to Greenwood, uh, to Clarksdale, down to at least Yazoo City, and maybe farther than that, because I've climbed up to houses in all of those places with him. <laughs> and so him being out on the road every day, he wanted to, he wasn't really interested in the news. He wanted to know the weather. And uh, I know this is way before your time, but, you know, back in the early days of television in Greenville, our two closest stations were Monroe, Louisiana, and Memphis, Tennessee. You could almost get either of them, but not quite. Uh, We had the antenna outside the house. You know, this was the 
ritual every night. You know, you'd have somebody get outside and turn the antenna so you get the station at the best and be able to holler out, the, oh, back a little bit, what, what, too much, back the other way. And then one glorious day, Delta Video installed a 400-foot tower on the south end of Greenville, put antennas up at the top of it, and ran wires to anybody's house that could either buy outright rights to the cable or rent it. Wow. And so we were we were one of the renters. All of a sudden, man, you could see a picture on the television and everything. And we Technology. had all three networks. <laughs> oh, it was, really. I mean, I could count on one hand the number of times we've gotten a clear picture up until then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the weather, was, it was really odd because uh, Bob Neblett at Channel 12 in Jackson started his newscast with weather. And then Daddy would switch it over to Channel 7 in Little Rock, which was, the I guess there was no ABC affiliate in Mississippi. The Channel 6 wasn't on the air yet. So uh, they had Channel 7 in Little Rock for the ABC affiliate. So Dad would switch over there and get their weather in the middle of the newscast and then put it back on Channel 3 and get Woody's weather, which was at the end of the newscast. So he got three right. weather forecasts every night. <laughs> And he kind of, you know, played his own weather guru. He'd add them up and divide them by three and come up with his own forecast. <laughs> and so from that, I got this interest in weather. And then, Steve, I'll tell you another thing, though, uh, that really made me interested in doing weather because uh, I was watching channels. You don't think of television stations necessarily as having personalities. Mm -hmm. But Channel 7 and Little Rock did. And they, they had some weather casters that were real cut-ups. And they had always had the latest technology. Now, back then... Television was black and white, so any kind of magic that you could come up with with rotating colored lights and things like that worked well to put motion. I'm not really sure how they did it, but it put motion in the clouds. It made the clouds look like they were raining and things like that. Yeah. And it didn't matter if it showed up black and white at home. You know, It just looked like motion. And, and this weathercaster, he didn't have his map prepared before he went on the air. It was just a blank map. And it had these little magnetic things that stuck on it. And so as he went along, he'd say, well, we have a cold front up here. And he'd pull a cold front out of his hand. He'd stick the cold front on the map up through Nebraska and up to the Great Lakes. <laughs> and then uh, one night, though, he said, and we have some rain over here in Texas. And he slapped the rain on Texas. <laughs> it stayed there for about two minutes and fell off and hit the floor. <laughs> he looked down at it for a second, looked up at the camera and said, Heavy rain in Texas. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, if you got fun like that doing weather, I want to do that. But uh, but I started off in radio. I, I, I really enjoyed broadcasting, and I think I, actually this is something else that came out of my childhood. And I tell me if I'm talking too much and we'll no, 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 I love it. Are you kidding me? I'm just having coffee and relaxing. I'm enjoying it. I, I think I got interested. Well, I know I got interested in broadcasting when I was a kid. Uh, my family had, uh, before, I can actually remember before we had television. I don't really remember, but maybe about two instances of sitting around watching radio at night. But I know we had this old console radio, you know, a big piece of furniture type thing. And that was, that was one of my toys. I loved that thing. I, you know, it had a shortwave on there. And I could, back in those days, there was shortwave stations all over the world. You pick up radio Moscow and, uh, I don't know, the BBC, the World Service, and, and it was just fascinating to me that I could be sitting in my living room 
listening to somebody talking halfway around the world at the same time, and to somehow know that this was just magical. And then, of course, rock and roll came along, and the disc jockeys, they were just as big a star uh, playing the records as, as Elvis was singing them. And so somewhere in my right. in my blood got the idea that I wanted to be in broadcasting. And so uh, my first job was at, uh, at WJPR in Greenville, which is now WNIX. And WJPR was at that time all big band music. And it uh, I didn't particularly, I, I love the music now. I didn't particularly care for it then. I'd rather be paying the Beatles in big band. <laughs> but, um, but it was on the air, you know. And uh, the Greshams ran that uh, radio station. Now, the, the, uh, John Gresham, uh, right. a former state senator, gave me some of the two, or gave me two of the best life lessons I ever got in my life. He walked into the control room one day, <laughs> and I see Bruce was the, the station manager because he yelled a lot. And Benny was the station engineer because he was kind of introvert. And then, and then Buddy was the sales manager because he had good people skills. But Buddy did not work on the air. Everybody's assuming their role, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I mean, they were a perfect set of brothers to run a radio right. station. You got everybody you need, you know. As I was on the air when I everybody walked in the control room, and this looked like something out of Star Wars. I, I don't know. They bought it from that. It had knobs and buttons and things all over it and meters and Buddy said, man, that looks complicated. And I told him, Buddy, it's really not that much to it. You don't use all of it. You just use this knob and this knob and this switch. And then he threw his hands up. He said, what, 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 what? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. He says, you tell me how to run that thing, and I'll be down here doing the Sunday afternoon shift. Right. <laughs> he said, let me, let me tell you two things that will carry you far in life. Said, Number one, if you don't know how to do it, they can't make you do it. And number two, if you do know how to do it, and you do it one time as a favor, it will become a part of your job description. Right. <laughs> and, and and both of those have worked out in my career. Now, number one, is I, I was the first reporter at WLBT to ever shoot, write, and edit his own stories, because back when I went there 34 years ago, it was, I mean, reporters weren't allowed to touch the equipment, so I bought my own camera, but... The other thing is, to this day, I still don't know how to run a teleprompter. I, there's huh. nothing to it. But I knew if I ever learned how to do it, I would be sitting there at 6 o'clock news every night running teleprompters. So just the word to the wise. I love if it. You know, if you, if you well, don't know how to do it, they can't make you do it. And if you ever do it the first time for free, <laughs> it will become a part of your job description. <laughs> so you better love it. I love it. We're with the great Walt Grayson. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We got the weather figured out. We'll be right back. I'd rather be swimming with you, girl Hey folks, if you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night Give my buddy Chad and his team at OmniPillow a go OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy And listen to this They will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away one million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com, enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet.
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, because that is how we roll. We are with a Mississippian, Walt Grayson, who has spent his life dedicated to the airwaves one airwaves one way or the other i mean like yeah. y- you heard him you saw him a uh, big big part of all of our lives growing up you, you've been and still are i want to talk about uh the what could have been your life's calling y- you know you were you were thinking about something else right you were talking about uh, getting in in uh, direct contact with the lord and giving it to us uh what made the turn well, yeah, I grew up in a, uh, I started to say religious family, but, you know, that's, that's not really, I grew up in a Christian family, let's just put it that way. Uh, and and uh, my grandparents, my parents, my dad especially, every time that the church doors opened, he was there. Sometimes he opened them. Uh, so, you know, you grow up in that kind of environment, and sooner or later, you've got to examine the fact that, well, you know, am I, am I called to the ministry or not? Mm-hmm. And uh, after going to, you know, I was already in broadcasting, but I've got to say broadcasting is the love of my life. And it took five years of my good preaching for me to realize that, no, this is not what I'm called to do. That uh, I, I need not, but mean, and what I meant is ministry is not what I'm called to do. That I need to be going and doing my first love. And I think I may have been talking to uh, Frank Pollard over at, uh, I was at his house shooting a piece of video, of all things, for somebody who was doing a music video, and they were using the piano in his house or something like that. So I was doing this with this, this family, this singing family. I was talking to Dr. Pollard about calling, and he said, I really think that calling is about 90% desire. He says, if you don't have a desire to do it, then you're probably not called right. to do that. I love that. And. And then I was talking to uh, also one when I first started examining the, or exploring the idea of the ministry. Uh, I was talking to Robert Perry, who is Doctor Emmy Perry's son. Emmy Perry pastored Second Baptist Church in Greenville, and that's what that's the church we went to when I was a kid. And then uh, Robert Perry was his son, and he pastored a church here in Jackson when we first moved down here. And he said that if you want to go into the ministry, he says my advice is. Try anything else. Just go get you another job doing something else. He says, if you can do that, then you're not called to the ministry. He says, you're called to the ministry if you can't do anything but that. Uh, He gave an example. He says, if I didn't have a church, he says, I would have to get tracts or pamphlets or something just go stand preach on the corner, because that's just what I'm called to do. Right. He knew it. I love that. And I kind of feel like that I'm called to broadcasting, you know, being a Baptist and being an ordained Baptist, you know, that's sort of, we don't have a headquarters anywhere when you decide, you know, this is not what I'm going to do so I can turn in my certificate of ordination. Mm-hmm. You know, Baptist ordained as being like salvation, you know, once ordained, always ordained. Mm-hmm. So, so I can still legally marry folks. I'll be doggone. I love that. So you did go to ordained. I, you, you were ordained. I were. Oh, yes, I was ordained. And, wow. and so cool. I preached at a little old country church. Up in North Madison County. Now, when I say Madison County, people think about, you know, uh, the, uh, the posh stuff down in the south part of the county. And it says, no, this is North Madison County on the Itala County line. This was the country. 
This was so far back in the country, the hunters up there didn't know the two seasons, salt and pepper. <laughs> and, uh, and and I loved it, because I grew up in Greenville. I kind of considered myself one of these sophisticated Delta boys. Got up there, this was a totally new life to me. And loved the people, and they were good to me. And I, I, I enjoyed everything about the church, except, and I, I enjoyed the preaching, too, really, because I learned a lot doing that. But in the course of all this, though, I got this certificate of ordination, and every once in a while, I'll have somebody ask me if I would perform a wedding for them, if I do their wedding, and ask me if I could legally do that. I told them, and I, I usually answered, oh, man, you wouldn't believe how many women I've married. <laughs> and, and then I say, and on top of that, you wouldn't believe how many men I've married, too. <laughs> but I tell them that I can do it, and it will be legal but I would really prefer that your local pastor do that because that's what you hired him for. Right. Is to be the minister to the families. But if they just insist, I remember we had one girl at the TV station, she just insisted. So I told her, okay, I would do that. And it ended up being a whole lot bigger wedding than I thought it was going to be. And there were a couple of hundred people there. And I went out and I performed my duties and I pronounced a man and wife. They kissed and they walked out. And I invited everybody to come to the reception and all that. But as I was leaving, this lady walked up to me. She had this puzzled look on her face, and she says, Well, how is it you can marry people? And although, Steve, although I was standing in a church, the devil got a hold of me. <laughs> I lurked her street and I, and I told her, Why, in Mississippi, weather men can marry folks. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Walt Grayson. Walt. So tell me the inspiration behind Mississippi Roads, and then well, you know how to get how'd you get it on the air? How much work did you have to do? You know, la la la. Mississippi Roads, of course, is product of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and this is something they came out with. I don't think they had it on the air when they immediately went on. Within the first few years, they came up with this idea of Mississippi Roads, and it was a public broadcasting program they you know they were very staid and formal their announcers did not use consonants or anything like that they're mm -hmm. very formal and all this but it was still an entertaining program then they dropped it and i'm thinking duh why do you do that you know this is the most watched program on your network why do you drop it but yeah, that was way before my time but about 1999 they decided they wanted to reinstate it and i was already doing the look around mississippi series on channel three right and they asked me if I'd like to. Actually, what happened was, I just to back up a little bit, if, if we got a reverse on this thing, I'll do, go backwards. Reverse. <laughs> Come on. They told me years and years ago that when Woody Asaph retired, that I would have his job. And at the time, I was thinking, well, that's what I wanted to do, thinking that Woody was going to retire within two or three years. He stayed 17 more years. <laughs> So meanwhile, if they needed something for me to do other than the 10 o'clock weather at night, which I told them, oh, no, I'm perfectly satisfied to do just that. That'll be okay. But but they sent me out doing stories. And I did hard news stories for a while. and, and then, But it ended up that I found my niche as features. I love to go talk to the people of Mississippi. And I'll tell you what it is, Steve. Miss, I grew up watching in the 1960s, watching television like everybody else did. And pretty much all my information about my world came from television. And if, if you could recall the 1960s, the network televisions did not have too much nice to say about Mississippi. 
there, there was an element of that here, but it's like, you know, the, the, the three civil rights workers in Neshoba County. My gosh, the way that it was portrayed on, oh, on national television, you'd right. think everybody in Mississippi was in on it. Right, right, right. And, and little did you know that everybody in Mississippi was just as shocked and aghast as everybody else was. Exactly. You know, and so I, I knew there was an element of Mississippi out there that existed that was not being portrayed on television. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go do the fun things, the natural areas, the, the quirky people, and and uh, and I've had a, had a great time doing it, and did it for the seventeen years while Woody was hanging around doing weather, and I was doing the ten o'clock weather every night. Then one day Woody retired. Hmm. All of a sudden, I'm doing weather from you know six o'clock at night on until eleven o'clock at night. Didn't have a chance that you know to do six o'clock weather. You got to get it there in the middle of the afternoon to get that ready. So I had no chance to go back out on the road and do stories. Although I did still try to slip one in a week, but yes, uh, so all of this, I felt like I was in prison because I really want to be back out running running the roads again and not watching radar images render on my computers. So when when I was doing weather, I really would rather have been back out on the road. And that's when uh, MPB came back with Mississippi Roads and asked if I wanted to be the host. Okay, so what I was jumped the, at the chance. Okay, you jumped the chance, but it, what did you have to do with your with the weather career? I mean, could you you couldn't do it all, right? You, said you know, you they were time. very nice at, uh, at, at public broadcasting. We shot roads on the weekend so that I could still do weather during the week. Wow. Uh, and so we went out and... and, and Oh, I think I still have people that want to kill me because I gave them all kind of sage advice. Like, uh, I remember one time we were on the Natchez Trace, and she was doing three shows a weekend. It two on Saturday and one on Sunday, which is, that's a lot of shooting. Right. Because yeah, my memory's not that good. And they would hand me a script that, that had about a page of copy on it, and I had to remember that while they were setting up the camera. Uh, so I wasn't, and still am not the best subject at doing that, but I remember we were on the Nash's Trace one time. Poor Key Ivy was driving, and they pulled Key over and gave him a ticket. I gave him the sage advice. Well, man, you can let the hammer down now because there's not but one, you know, a, a, a patrolman on the trace at a time. <laughs> 20 miles later, pulled him over and gave him another one. <laughs> no way. No way. I, I, I hadn't gotten a Christmas card from Key since then. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't have told him to punch it. Hey, we got to take a break. You get to play DJ. All right, I know you love music. You spent time with it. Uh, we're not doing Beatles, but the Beatles were influenced by us. You know, you know they were, Walt. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so let's talk about it. Would you like to hear a little North Mississippi All-Stars or B.B. King? Let's go B.B. King, because I met B.B. King. He's a nice guy. Oh, I love it. We're with the great Walt Grayson. We're, we're taking a walk through Mississippi in his eyes, which are as good and close to real as you get. I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. I gave you a brand new Ford. But you said, I want a Cadillac. I bought you a $10 dinner. And you said, thanks for the snack. I let you live in my kid's house. You said it was just a shack. I gave you seven children. And now you want to give them back. Yes, I've
in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. The good and the bad always comes from upstream. When it's good, it's never as good as it seems. You either swim and are sinking, and there's no end between. I'm Steve Azar. We're in a Mississippi Minute. We're with Mississippi's host, the man that lets you in the gates, our golden gates, Walt Grayson. Uh, always knew Walt from a distance growing up, watching him. He was part of our, our household, like so many uh, in Mississippi and surrounding areas. So mm-hmm. you think about weather and you think about TV, but just weather right now, you think about Jim Cantori and those guys and the doctors and and all of the curriculum now that you can go and get a real education about this. Has all that, ed- I mean, they seem to be really good uh, at what they're doing now. Obviously, you can't predict exactly what a hurricane is doing or, or, or is, is you, can, you can say what you think it's going to do. They're pretty close now. Has that come truly far or is the weatherman still... Uh, uh, a shot in the woods. You know what I mean? His predictions. Well, I got two thoughts about that. Well, first of all, to answer your question, yeah, weather forecasting is light years ahead of where it was 10 years ago. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have the computer algorithms out. They can load the atmosphere into a computer Crazy. and then hit the go button, and it will pretty much spit out. And all this is based on past history. It'll pretty much spit out what is going to do based on the parameters that you put in there, and it's very, very close. It's amazing. Uh, of course, I did, I did have one boss back at radio told me one time, says, you know, he says, I really think that weather forecasting is more of an art than it is a science, and that may, <laughs> that may well be true. <laughs> but uh, it, I, remember, I remember I went to a hurricane conference one time in the Bahamas, the big argument there was, and this was about 15 years ago, the big argument there, they had people from Weather Channel and from the National Weather Service talking about how that in the very near future, they were going to be able to predict hurricanes where they would go accurately 10 days out. And I think it, I don't think it was Jim Cantori, but it was another one of the guys from Weather Channel. He just brouhaha that. There's no way that you can do that. And, um, I remember Hurricane Elena, whichever year it was, uh, came on Labor Day weekend. It was headed toward Florida on my last weathercast on Friday afternoon. Uh, So we packed up and and headed up to my mom's house up in Fulton to spend Labor Day weekend. By the time I got there, Mom says, you know, that hurricane's turned around coming toward Mississippi. (laughs) And I didn't know that. And so we took a nap, climbed the car, came back, and I stayed on WLBT all night monitoring as best you could right monitoring a hurricane back then that pretty much was just phone calls to people in Pensacola and Mobile and and things like that which by the way that was the first night the WLBT had stayed on the air all night long wow uh, that's and, crazy uh, so they were crazy back then and that that wasn't all that long ago but this hurricane made a, a hairpin turn in the Gulf of Mexico and came right back and I can't remember p- precisely where it landed it uh, but but now you can just about chart them from the eastern part of the Atlantic. And by that time, you know the general direction they're going in. And by the time you get into the Caribbean, you know pretty much where they're going to hit. But, yeah, all that to answer, I know as 
As my former pastor's father said, as he was answering a question for me one time, he says, I know you just asked me what time it was, and I told you how to build a watch. But to answer your question, yeah, weather forecasting is light years ahead of where it was. I love it. We're with the great Walt Grayson. I've got a real quick story if you got time for a well, quick story. we got time for you all day long. I was doing some stuff in 1999 for the year 2000 about Mississippi Millennial Moments, the wonderful things that Mississippi had contributed to the 20th century. And, of course, you got to do something about Elvis. So I went to uh, Tupelo. And I wanted to get a shot of the front of the Tupelo hardware store because that's where Elvis got his first guitar. And went in, and I'll try to make this kind of short. So I went, these are the nicest people in the world. So I wanted, told the Booth family, so I wanted to get a shot of the front of the store. They shook my hands. Oh, come on in. The BBC was just in here last week. You, we've got an elevated office. You can put your camera up here and get a shot of the entire interior of the store. And I didn't want the interior, but the guy was being so nice, I sure didn't want to insult him. So I went in and I got up in the office and hosed down the store, shook his hand, started to head for the outside. Well, we got this one counter right there by the door. Uh, and the guy says, this is the counter where Elvis got his first guitar. And I knew something important had happened there because there was a duct tape X on the floor. And, you know, here in Mississippi, I've come to find out you find the duct tape X, and you have found the equivalent of a historical marker. So, <laughs> I love it. So the, 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 I, was, well, I was thinking, I don't need, really need a shot of the counter, but here's the counter, here's the camera, flipped it on, got a shot of the counter, thanked him. By that time, a gray-haired man coming from the back said that he was here the day Elvis got his first guitar. My thinking yeah, by that time is, man, I'm not going to get supper tonight. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I couldn't even think of anything to ask him, Steve. I just put my mic in front of his face and I said, so you were here the day Elvis got his first yeah. guitar. And he, That's you know, cool. kind of broke out. And that, if, you're up, if you're familiar with that Northeast Mississippi bro, he, he kind of broke out in that slow talk. said, yeah, but not a lot of people know it, but Elvis didn't have come in here to get a guitar. And I didn't know that. I said, well, what was he looking for? He said he was 11 years old. He wanted a twenty two rifle. Wow. And he finally got up enough nerve to get his mama to come in and ask her for that rifle. And she explained to him, no, son, you're too young. You can't have the rifle. And so he pitched what he called a throwdown fit. Elvis did. Pitched a throwdown fit right there on the floor. And to calm him down, this guy said, I reached over behind the counter and I pulled out a guitar and I said, here, son, how about a guitar instead? No and he still way. Wanted, he still wanted the rifle. Yeah. And so... His mama pulled him up by the nap of the neck, and he says, okay, two things. Number one, you're going to get the seat of your pants dusted for acting like this in public. <laughs> and number two, it's the guitar or nothing. So wow. at 11 years of age, Elvis Presley reluctantly took a guitar over a rifle. And, Steve, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that he changed Western culture when he did so. Well, he changed it all. But let me ask you this. I just, this is just we, we don't know the answer to this, but your take. If if he gets the rifle right, and not the guitar, does yeah. is there another you think an opportunity? Don't you? I mean, well, opportunities come into your life, and you have to grab them. They say, but is that yeah. one, you know? And when you find the love of your life, you met her that night. It was by chance. Is there any other chance he grabs a guitar? Is there any other chance you find the love of your life? I mean, what do you think about like that philosophy? 
you know, I hadn't even thought about that. It, it could very well have been. You know, my thought was <laughs> if he got the guitar, he may have wound up at Parksman like his daddy did. But, um, <laughs> but, but, and then I quickly dismissed that. No, because he's good Northeast Mississippi stock. I think he probably would have found it. But, but here, here's what my thinking is that Elvis found the guitar, which ended up being the, the calling of his life in the midst of a disaster. We're with the great Walt Grayson. It's all going to be good. You're in a Mississippi Minute. Stand by. Till I baby, I'll be home. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We were just two kids on the corner of Highway 1 and 82. We were standing at a crossroad. We both knew what I had to do Greyhound leaving for Memphis, Tennessee I'm Steve Azar. We're in Mississippi Minute. We're in the very back half of all 60 of them because that is how we roll. With Walt Grayson. Walt, let's talk about faith. Let's talk about the plans that you make and sometimes they don't work out. But I also want to talk about um, with that this is something that's a quote from you that I read, and I love this. Very few people of any ethnicity, age group, socioeconomic class live up to the stereotype. Everyone I come across in one way or another is exceptional. That, is, that are words from you that I read. Okay, those are words. And everything you're talking about right now, everything from, from the beginning of this interview represents this statement to me. This is what you're about. You see the graciousness and the and and the glory in everyone, uh, no matter what background they come from. I mean, that's the magic in you. Did that come from your folks? Was it always uh, prevalent in your life, relevant till to, to this day? I think to a degree, it it may have. My parents were that way in in the 1950s and 1960s setting. They were that way. Um, I think a lot of it, I'll be honest with you, is getting out and meeting people and Mm -hmm. finding that I have yet to meet the typical Mississippian. Oh, there's no doubt. (laughs) Everybody everybody I run across is atypical. They are some of the most wonderful, gracious people out there. And when you consider as kind as they are being to you to accommodate you, that every one of them somewhere down inside has some kind of hurt that they wish would go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, they ain't no sense in going there and being rude to them and adding to their hurt. Right. Uh, and and if, if you're nice to folks, they'll be nice to you. And there are some of the most hilarious stories out there and some of the most touching stories. And people that just walk down the street have done heroic acts of kindness on their level. And it, just knowing that they're, 
the the white, green, purple, it doesn't matter. Man, mm-hmm. we have the greatest people in the world living right here around us. I'm, I'm proud to be one of them. And I like to take them and show them off on television or whatever as, as much as I can. I love that. I mean, that just speaks. Okay, so I get it. And you travel in the world, which I've been blessed to do, and obviously every state multiple times. I've been so many times and gotten to know the people. And people are, are, are wonderful if you let them in and give. If you go in with the attitude first that they're a good guy, they're a good girl, they're a good lady, good good man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then it's amazing the the goodness you do find. And yeah. uh, a lot of people yeah. go in with this attitude, but but I got to tell you. I agree with you. We are a state of characters, of dialogue, uh, uh, storytellers. Uh, we are a place, um, and, and, and you know, getting to serve as a music and culture ambassador in Mississippi has been like the coolest thing for me. And my friends in Nashville go, we used to be cool. And I said, man, I finally got cool. Because <laughs> when you grow up here, you, you, you feel this need to represent and the, all these people that you've met and come across and written about, who, who's been your backdrop, who's given you topic to, uh, that's worthy of sharing with the world. And you have done that, my man. You have shared and brought people to us because of your love affair of our home and the people. And, and I would sure like to be, I'd like to be one-tenth of what you've been. And, and so for me, for a guy that's grown up with you, and obviously left for 20 years and came back to you, right? And, and, and there's a handful of people I can think about right now. I'm lifting you up, man, because you have mattered to so many. And you matter to, you matter to this great state of ours. And I, I think that, that it all starts at what you just said. I think it all starts and with the statement you made that I read. Because I think that you said everyone I come across in one way or another, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what color, is exceptional. And oh, that's, I think so. that's the only way that I can end this interview because I think that that's, uh, I mean, I just think that's it. I think that's who you are. Well, thank you. Thank you. Which, by the way, you mentioned the story that I did with you. I, I think I may have shared this with you. I'm not sure whether I did or not. Which, by the way, I, I enjoy. I spent a couple of days with you uh, up in the Delta, yeah. uh, up in your recording studio, out in the cotton field and all that. Uh, I actually entered that into the Associated Press Awards. I got Feature Story of the Year. Come on. I got that hanging on my wall right now. Well, I didn't know that. Or maybe, you know, that's awesome. Well, there's a victory for two Delta boys right there. Just taking it on. That's right. I love it. I love it. It can be done. (laughs) Oh, no, it it, it shall be done. It just can't. It shall. Well, we've been with the great Walt Grayson. Walt, uh, many times ahead. Uh, I appreciate you spending a Mississippi Minute with me and uh, my listeners from around the country as well that get to to know a man that... uh, I grew up with. I appreciate you. We've been with great Walt Grayson. You've been in a Mississippi Minute. Later. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. News Mississippi. I don't care if you're a conservative, a liberal, a Democrat, or a Republican. News Mississippi, covering the stories that matter to you. With the top stories from across the Magnolia State. News Mississippi, bringing you an exclusive story at this hour. The news that matters most. News. News. News Mississippi. Up to the minute reports on air and always online at newsms.fm. News Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.